Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, November 10th, 2017. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. And joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Tiffany, Elliot, Doug, and Gabby. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. Hello. Awesome. So, so Hello. we're missing Erica today. We wish her well. Uh, and today, our topic is uh, syphilitic superpower, the rise of STDs. Um, we just want to talk about this because this is something that. You know, that with all the things in the news, um, of course, obvious world events, politics, things, even disease, things like that. People are talking about vaccinations. There's flu season, you know. But it, this, um, in the general public, uh, you know, of course, given the subject, the topic of STDs is not very widely discussed, but they have been increasing. Uh, and some of them have been mutating, which is uh, pretty interesting. So uh, we want to kind of go through that and talk about what, what may have uh, caused this Um you know, and, and what, is, what are the ramifications? Uh, we, we are going to be uh, speculating today, just to lay that on the table. But uh, this is the topic we want to discuss. Um, so I, I think it's, it's pretty interesting because I remember growing up, like when I was younger, this is like, I guess, right before the advent of my teen years. I, you know, I, I grew up fairly sheltered. And so as I was kind of coming out of my box, I started hearing people talking about, you know, sex and drugs and these kind of things. And then a lot of it was about AIDS. And this was in like the, you know, uh, early nineties, mid, mid to early nineties. Um, <clears throat> and so I grew up with that stuck in my mind. And now I actually heard somebody say the other day that they'd rather get cancer or they'd rather get AIDS than cancer. <laughs> so it's an interesting thing. Now it's like the, the threat of it has gone down, I think, in people's minds where it's not like you're worried about it. But I think maybe there's been more education too, um, because I know mm -hmm. I've I've seen people, and I'm not making this up, who, who will wipe stuff down that people that they know have AIDS have touched because they're afraid mm -hmm. of that. When I mean, you really like, it's it's very hard without you know actual transfer of bodily fluids to catch it just from touch. You know, you can't catch it from touching someone. Is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of those uh, the the misconceptions, the understanding around it has changed, but it's also the quote-unquote lesser-known uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea, things like that are changing now, and there's different mm -hmm. strains that are being discovered, and that's, I think, what's interesting and might catch people kind of off guard. HPV, too, right, is a, is a big one right now that people are mm -hmm. talking about. But, so, and I, I just... Especially like men, apparently. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, and pardon my French, but just to be completely blank, we were, or, or Frank, we were talking about this uh, beforehand, and is the question really, are, are people just getting more promiscuous? You know, like what is, mm -hmm. or is there something else going on here uh, where it's, you know, um, evolving or it's maybe the environment knocking down immune systems, making this possible? That's kind of what we want to get into today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I mean, kind of had the same experience as you, Jonathan, when I was coming up in school. Maybe in high school, college, I mean, whole safe sex thing, use condoms, condoms, safe sex, you know, get tested, all that was all over the place. And now I don't hear much about it at all. It's like nobody cares about STDs anymore. And yet there's all these, pub all these public health departments in various states around the country, North Carolina, California, Nevada, Seems like everywhere, all their health departments are reporting like millions of new cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, especially like mm -hmm. in the last few years. So I don't well, know. I don't remember. 
I remember when I was yeah. growing up, like in actual like elementary school in like health class, you know, there was a list of all the different STDs. I mean, basically looking back on it now, it kind of seemed like a way, a way to just kind of scare the shit out of the kids and not uh, to, mm-hmm. to mess around or anything. But it just outside of that context, it was like never really a big thing because I think, you know, once um, in the 70s, these things were all kind of rampant and then, you know, they were just using antibiotics to get rid of them. So when I grew up, like, I don't think I knew anybody who ever had one of these diseases. I mean, granted, it's not exactly something you're necessarily going to talk about, but mm-hmm. even with like close friends or anything like that, like I never knew anybody who had gonorrhea or like syphilis. And I had some friends who were quite promiscuous. So I mean, I think the worst I ever heard of, I, I had a friend who had herpes. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, other than that, I'd never really encountered it. So it just was never on my radar at all. So to hear that these things are all kind of coming back with a vengeance is, is really surprising, actually. Yeah, I still haven't processed the new the information because, uh, well, I went to med school, what, in the 90s? And you will never hear of a case of syphilis or gonorrhea. Mm. And when you did, it was this, like, bizarre thing from the past. And it was probably mm. somebody in a low, in a very low lifestyle level that... I don't know. I don't know. I, for example, the WHO statistics, the World Health Organization estimates that 78 million people a year get gonorrhea. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, yeah, um, according uh, to apparently the Apparently with the syphilis, they... they th- Go ahead. So I think there's a lag on my, on my end. Um, I was just going to say, apparently with the syphilis, I think it was in the early 2000s, they um, they thought that they were sort of going to overcome it. Uh, the 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 rates had gone down to such an extent that they thought it would eventually just naturally die out. And then 15 years on from that, suddenly it's come back with a vengeance. Um, and it seems like it's... It's resistant to many forms of antibiotics as well. So it's like uh, it's come back in a different way. Yeah. It's all almost mutated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's now it's like something that there's loads of health professionals and scientists who are basically warning about and saying, you know, this could potentially become a really big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. For instance, at, there are the. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Gabby. So I was going to say the example of the antibiotic resistance, you know, that are extended spectrum cephalosporins. These are like ha- hardcore antibiotics. And uh, in most countries, these types of antibiotics are the only antibiotics that will kill gonorrhea. And yet resistance to them has already been reported in 50 countries in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. That was totally unheard of, you know. That's yeah. Well, they're, they're calling it a superbug right now. In fact, one of the articles we were looking at uh, from CNBC, gonorrhea superbug could be worse than AIDS. Um, so, you know, yes, this could be another kind of scare. It could be a, you know, emblematic of the media kind of blowing things out of proportion. But there are, um, like for instance, uh, who is that? William Smith exec director of the National Coalition of STT, STD Directors. So it's an emergency situation. Uh, it's getting more and more dangerous as time moves on. 
so I mean, I, I don't think we can discount this just like we're looking at other, you know, superbugs like MRSA and things like that that are mm-hmm. mutating to resist antibiotics. Uh, why would it be any different with STDs? And I, th- I, you know, people might disagree with me here, but I think that you could safely assume that casual sex is on the rise or that it, it's more it's happening more than it used to. And that may be my naive of me. You know, if you look back at like the 60s and 70s and like, you know, the summer of love and all that. So mm-hmm. I, I certainly could be wrong. But with you know, uh, increased connectivity and in apps like Tinder and, and Grindr and things like that, and people yeah. can just go find a sex partner in 10 minutes if you live in the city. I, you know, <laughs> I honestly wonder if the whole hippie summer of love thing was maybe more segregated to specific uh, subcultures. And maybe it wasn't really sure. as widespread as we're necessarily led to believe. I mean, I don't know for sure. Like, I mean, I've never seen statistics on this kind of thing, but it's like, it's like, you know, casual sex and like, um, you know, the use of apps and dating websites and all that kind of stuff for just, just complete, like anonymous casual sex. Like, I don't know if that kind of thing has ever existed before. Like it, it kind of like, it seemed like people always had to put the effort in, you know what I mean? Like at least (laughs) find out where the orgy was happening. Like, you know, start running in those circles. But like now (laughs) it seems like it's really just uh like really really easy and it's become very normalized as well mm-hmm. that's what it seems totally. like to me like it's, it's it's not there isn't the same kind of stigma against that kind of thing that once existed yeah it's one thing to have uh, these apps available but it's another thing to actually take advantage of those apps so that says a lot about where people's minds are these days mm. yeah those two tinder and grinder are two of the most popular apps in the uh, marketplace I mean, you know, anytime you connect something with sex, look at Viagra is one of the best selling drugs in the history of the planet. Hmm. You know, uh, you wrap something in sex, it, it sells. It's a, it's, it's a stereotype, but it's true. Yeah. It's well, I'm always suspicious of the World Health Organization and the CDC when they put out statistics <laughs> because they lie so much. But yeah. <laughs> according to the CDC and... 2016 cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis reached more than 2 million. So to break it down, it was 1.6 million cases of chlamydia, uh, 47,000, no, 470,000 cases of gonorrhea, and 28,000 cases of syphilis. And those are just new cases. Yeah. 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 But even health officials in certain states of the United States, for example, in Oregon, there were syphilis rates, um, their syphilis rates in Oregon increased by more than a thousand percent from 2007 to 2014. A thousand percent, you know. Over the course of seven years. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, If you go onto YouTube and just type in rise of STDs, you'll see all of these local news stations and their health departments reporting about how much these STDs are rising and everybody is just shocked. Wow. Mm. I think I wanted to address even recently. uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Gabby. Go go ahead. I'll I'll, I'll follow up. I'm sorry. I have a delay, I think. Yeah. But okay. Like, as a, as a doctor, I never heard of cases of, civil, of syphilis and gonorrhea, or very rarely, like very, very rarely. And just recently, like two days ago, there was a colleague saying that he's a pediatrician, 
and he has this kid with kidney failure and with skin lesions, and um, he was studying this case, uh, kid's case. He found out that both his parents were positive for syphilis. So the kid um, was sent to the hospital, and then was referred to a more specialized hospital in the city, and he had to, um, like, uh, make a, an appointment for his parents so to notify them that they should say that they both uh, had syphilis, they're positive for syphilis, and uh, that he was asking basically their permission because he was planning to contact the specialist in the city for uh, to have the kids studied for congenital syphilis. So I'm like, hmm. wow, suddenly we're in the 21st century and I have to think now about <laughs> Congenital syphilis when I see skin lesions and kidney failure. Mm. I mean, wow. I'm like, yeah, I'm still processing it. Yeah. I think one of the reasons it's so crazy, too, is just that there's, like, we do kind of think of these things as these, like, ancient diseases, you know, like things that would kind of ravage populations, like, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of hundred years ago or something. And it's like, you know, oh, yeah, that's a thing of the past. We don't have to worry about that anymore because of antibiotics. But, uh, yeah, now it's like, all of a sudden, these things are kind of starting to creep up again. Yeah. Well, syphilis is pretty old. There was mm-hmm. some theory that Columbus got it from the Indians when he came over to discover, in quotes, the New World, and he took it back to Europe. But there's that was kind of debunked because there were uh, reports of syphilis in Europe before that. But this was mm-hmm. like in... In the 1400s and 1500s, people started writing about syphilis and how it was such a scourge. And, you know, every country that got it will call it, you know, the plague of, like, say, for instance, if France had it, they would call it the Spanish plague or some other place. No one ever wanted to take credit for having started syphilis. But you kind of wonder, like, is something Not like us. syphilis, is that something that's been around forever? Just one of those old ancient bugs that just evolves with human beings? Sure. Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, this this may sound pretty weird and, and kind of unscientific, but I wonder if it's our programmed in kind of karmic response for um, for being promiscuous. <laughs> but there's that like that's that that's that Christian guilt part of me that wants to look for you know uh, the bad yeah. karma. Huh. Well, well, you know about syphilis. It is very similar. It behaves very similar to Lyme's disease. Like Borrelia burgdorferi, and like it, it is called like the the great imitator. You know, it can imitate pretty much any disease. It can cause aneurysms in the aorta, like where your aorta dilates. You know, very dangerously, so it can rupture. It can destroy your central nervous system. It's a pretty horrifying disease, and yeah, pretty much imitates any any disease. And we yeah, also have a search on Lyme's disease, so yeah. I've read something about uh, syphilis maybe being confused with leprosy back in the olden days. Like they, there was mm-hmm. really no way for them to differentiate the two diseases. Hmm. So yeah, well, I was reading uh, about how the big wig craze in the 17th century actually was likely due to uh, everybody getting syphilis. They started losing their hair, so. It was like one king started, yeah, like, got syphilis, started losing his hair, and he started wearing a wig, and then all his court people yeah. started like imitating him, and pretty soon it, like, it was wigs all around. It was just <laughs> totally wigging out. 
I wonder about the hat fashion. The thought that had crossed my mind earlier was Doug, you had mentioned like the attitude towards sex kind of changing and the attitude towards STDs changing. And I wonder, what surprises me when I think about this is how many people are having like just random casual unprotected sex that this is becoming a problem because, uh, you know, let's just be frank here. Uh, I, that, that wouldn't even cross my mind. I mean, yes, as a younger person, it may have, but as you go through life, you understand that there's a risk, you know, of, of a debilitating lifelong illness. So use protection, you know, and it's like, it's kind of a, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a A equals B thing. Um, you know, is, not, I'm not trying to be naive again here, but is sex really just that good that you just forget about all the ramifications? I guess that's why we have a lot of, you know, single single mothers too, um, and uh, you know, broken families because mm-hmm. the same thing with pregnancy is that people just don't think about that. Yeah, but it really know. is kind of mind-boggling a little bit, you know. Is it really that enjoyable? I mean, for a woman at well, least, I mean, how, how much can you get out of having sex with a stranger? Doesn't there have to be some kind of emotional connection? Well, that's see, I think we're touching on where where this ties into our <laughs> evolution. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because it is a sacred thing, and it is you know it it is and can be incredible. Uh, but the, every like, everything with meaning in our culture feels like it's being diluted. I don't know if you guys get that yeah. vibe and this I think would fall along similar lines. Yeah. It's a, you know, <clears throat> call me a Puritan if you want, but it's a sacred connection between two people. Mm-hmm. And when you mm-hmm. dilute that, you know, and you start using it, uh, like a drug, uh, essentially, then, then that meaning gets lost. And then there's now this is where I kind of go off into speculation that, you know, maybe in the, the cosmic gears that move and how things work that when you ignore something that has that deep of a meaning, it will come back and bite you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. a very good point. I mean, all we have to do is look at the rise of porn, right? I mean, that's basically right. taking this, this kind of sacred thing and turning it into something completely like debased and, you know, no big deal. It's just casual, whatever. Like it's just having fun. And, uh, you know, just the fact that, you know, the spread of porn is like, it's un kind of unbelievable. Like how, how far and wide that has come and how many people it's actually affecting and all these people being like addicted to it. And I mean, that presents like, you know, uh, presents sex as a very kind of like, it's just a pastime. It's like playing video games. Like really there's nothing, mm-hmm. there's nothing more to it. And you know, kids see that. So then the kids become promiscuous after seeing this. And I mean, they've done studies to show that kids who are exposed to porn do tend to be more pr- promiscuous. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that that's kind of exactly what's going on, and um, no, lost that thought. Never mind. Well, these are really, really young well, kids group. too. Like even before they're yeah. teenage years that are watching porn and mm-hmm. making their yeah. own porn yeah. tapes even, or yeah. filming porn on their phones with their you know classmates. Jesus. Yeah. It also but speaks about the also, rape culture, you know. Um, go ahead, Gabby. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that, that's a uh, yeah, it's a complicated thing. That term, rape culture. I think it does exist in a certain sense, but it's like it's hard to talk about because of the current environment, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to cut you off. What, what did you mean when you said that? 
Well, I was actually going to draw the analogy what happened in former Yugoslavia. It was notorious, um, the use of rape as a weapon. And it also became known that it was a population where dangerous genital, you know, STDs spread more rapidly and they behave more aggressively. There is uh, an author, Paul Ewald, who wrote a book that became a bestseller in its, in its time called Plague Time, the new germ theory of disease. And he was mm. speculating that from an evolutionary point of view, um, sexually transmitted diseases will evolve, will evolve increased virulence in populations that have high potentials for sexual transmission. So he takes, uh, for example, the example of Yugoslavia, where rape was used as a weapon. And yes, very um, dangerous papillomaviruses in this case were spread in the population, you know, like the virus itself. It doesn't care if the host gets killed with the disease because there is such a high turnover of sexual partners that the virus will survive, so to speak. Hmm. It... Uh, one could speculate what is going on here, but I thought that was a pretty interesting information. Hmm. Well, that's already been shown, right, that, that um, certain viruses have a sort of intelligence or planning like that, like toxoplasma, hmm. right? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. That's true. Yeah. So that well, wouldn't entirely surprise me. A lot of these newly reported cases of STDs, um, some researchers are pointing out that a lot of these cases are more prevalent in gay men or men who have sex with men or bisexual men. And one of the reasons mm -hmm. they speculate is because of the whole AIDS thing has kind of died down where during that time there was a lot of emphasis on safe sex and using condoms and getting tested. And since that's kind of died down, a lot of these men don't have that knowledge or fear in the back of their mind. So maybe they take more chances than they would have previously. Yeah. And that could account for some true. of the higher rates. There's sure. kind of a gap that exists, right? Like, I mean, the whole AIDS thing has died down and all these old STDs, were kind of considered to be all but gone. And so it's kind of like, oh, there's no consequences right now. It's like this, this, uh, this, I don't know, like this gap, this, uh, the golden couple of years before mm -hmm. the superbugs start coming in. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's really, and I don't mean this to sound gross, but it's a, it's a giant Petri dish, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially, mm -hmm. this like community of sexual encounters. Um, it's quite quite literally a petri dish, and so uh, yeah, the the evolution is gonna gonna happen. Mm. I mean, it, you know, I feel like for example, we know that Toxoplasma gondii. Go ahead, Gabby, please. Yeah, I don't know if I might I might be actually going to the same argument, you know, like a microcosm. Like, for example, Toxoplasma gondii makes the host behaves, uh, behave more risky. Mm. Persons infected with Toxoplasma gondii have more risky behavior. Mm. One would speculate no. that maybe these microbes involved in STD also has a similar effect. Like, it behaves like a super organism, like with a, mm. an intelligence that 
you know, at least we can see it from the data that, yes, high-risk population or populations with the most aggressive STDs, yes, they behave more like, yeah, they're more promiscuous, you know. Well, that's the mm-hmm. thing, to- toxoplasma, and it, is it, the full name is Toxoplasma Gandhi? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, uh, yeah. it causes mice, it, it starts in mice, right? And then it causes the mice to be attracted to cat urine which of course then the mice are eaten by the cats and the cats get it. But they have found that the mechanism, like you said, that it, it increases risky behavior. Basically it lowers inhibition and it, it stops you from mm-hmm. uh, thinking about consequences of your actions essentially, mm. uh, which is pretty fascinating. So there's, mm-hmm. uh, and I know you guys are familiar with this, but there's a lot of theories that people like uh, high risk takers, adrenaline junkies have uh, or have had some form of toxoplasma, which, which increases that impulse. Um, you mean all those base yeah. jumpers and bungee jumpers and all that are actually just walking disease cases? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about all of them, but yeah. <laughs> you could make a case for some of that. Yeah, I wonder wow. if they ever actually studied syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia to see if it has that same kind of aspect to it as toxoplasmosis. Hmm. That's pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, viruses have. At least we know that. You know, there's... At least we know that syphilis. Yeah. Yeah. Viruses have certain goals. I want to hear that actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, there's isn't there? There's one for a. Um, uh, and forgive me for not remembering all the details on this, but there's a uh, a wasp uh, that will uh, uh, catch a virus that uh, then allows it to. Man, I need to look this up. It has something to do with a wasp, basically, like kind of like toxoplasma, where it becomes a target for a bird. Um, hmm. But then the bird catches the virus and it moves on from hmm. there. There's a similar things with those uh, fungal infections that um, that kill ants and then grow out yeah. from the body of the ant. And you know their, their goals, yeah, cordyceps. So I mean, if you if you want to put it, goals is a kind of a funny word, but if you want to put it that way, they do have kind of a group intent. Uh, to mm-hmm. accomplish a certain thing. And that thing may not even be in the species that they're currently infecting, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. It's like, it behaves like a super organism. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's like, you know, where does the intent lie? <laughs> is it the individual yeah. bacterium that's like, you know, um, you know, our cause here is to infect this species so that it can infect another species and that will reach our goal it just kind of seems right. bizarre to think about it in that way so like it's like it seems yeah, like there's know. intelligence there well, but if you th- right if you, go ahead Gabby, please if you think about it there are certain pathological bacteria in the gut that will make you crave sugar you know mm, because wants true. to feed on it yeah yeah there was one for a caterpillar too that causes it to climb higher up on stalks of grass so that it can be eaten by goats uh, and then it like it passes through the goat system for a certain reason. Again, I wish I had details on this stuff. I didn't even think to look <laughs> this up before the show. But um, it, is, it is fascinating. To th- <laughs> <laughs> it, it is fascinating to think from terms of uh, STDs. You know, like what what might they be trying to do? Uh, you know, of course, with the caveat that it's you know how do we interpret intelligence? It's more like this is what that organism is meant to do. And then to us, it seems like that's what it wants to do. Okay, hold on. Because it sounds like, I mean, I came into this thinking, yeah, you know, there's been an increase in this um, 
in promiscuity and that's led to a greater spread of these diseases. But we may be saying that maybe it's that the spread of the diseases had, has led to the promiscuity. Amen. That could I'd be, say actually. that's one theory. Yeah. <laughs> probably, I think that'd be it's pretty out there. At least it's a valid. <laughs> yes. <process>. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But then a the question becomes an evolutionary the perspective. Uh, Sorry, I'm on a lag as well. Yeah, I was going to say, what what was it that predisposed the the humans to to being um, susceptible to contracting these diseases? So so let's let's walk off the (laughs) the very speculative assumption that perhaps these organisms can enter the body and then direct our behaviour so that they can proliferate. But then, if you're going to take that into consideration, then what is it that allows the human body to be colonized by these things and what are the natural defenses against such things Mm -hmm. so is there a correlation between the decline of the immune the immune system the decline of the overall health of the individual which is what we've seen in the past 60 years or so um and is is that correlated with the fact that suddenly all of these stds seem to be going up through the roof um, is it like the long-term exposure to all of this toxicity and everything that comes with that, uh, along with all of this psychological stress and everything, um, all of these factors combined, does that make us more susceptible to to basically allowing these things to, to enter and then take control of our behavior? I think it could yeah, be well, a factor, be a... but I think uh, the more important role, I think, is the promiscuity of the culture. You know, from an evolutionary perspective, like a microbe will, ha- will have a greater chance of spreading uh, when there is promiscuous relationships and multiple partners. So they can, you know, mutate to be more aggressive because they don't have to care like the, that the host, you know, will die soon. It doesn't matter because by then he will have been transmitted to a new host. So the former host can die. It doesn't matter because they have mm-hmm. seen on conservative cultures or where there's only one or two or three partners at the most in the entire lifetime of a host that the organism behaves in more subtle ways and actually promotes uh, the development of a chronic disease. Mm-hmm. You know, that's um, even, you know, the role that is speculated to be on certain types of cancers or just like chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, which have uh, a component of some of these microbes, like chlamydia at least. So mm-hmm. that was uh, the the hypothesis of Paul Ewald on plague time. And yes, and he put the example of, okay, where there's a lot of multiple partners per lifetime in a host, yes, the virus or the microbe will just like mutate and behave aggressively because then it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if the host die, dies. Hmm. Well, that yeah. brings up another question. Like, how do we define promiscuity? Most people... Yeah. <laughs> do not give an accurate accounting of how many people they've slept with in their lifetime. Some people will underestimate in order to make themselves look better. Some people will overestimate in order to make themselves look better. But what exactly Mm. is promiscuity? How many partners is too many partners? Over a lifetime? Yeah. Yeah. More than once. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting hypothetical question. I mean, you know, like, um, 
even <laughs> if you want to tie it back to human emotion, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, your, your feelings for people are, or can be, uh, fluid, you know, I'm sure we've mm-hmm. all, uh, dated somebody in high school that we haven't talked to for 20 years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like things move and change. So I think it's a very interesting question. What it, what is too much? I think it comes down to the attitude towards it. Like despite my feelings about, you know, alleged promiscuity, I think at, at least, you know, people should be using protection that that would drop mm-hmm. a lot of these cases, um, you know, or be checking, uh, you know, obviously that's a really awkward conversation that you don't want to have, but, uh, yeah, I think people are just being uh, uh, careless, and and I have to imagine that the, that a lack of protection is the base cause for a lot of the a lot of this mm-hmm. spread. Well, some of it, but I mean, syphilis. If somebody actually has, they're in the, the phase where they have lesions, then condoms don't protect you from that. Mm-hmm. Same thing with herpes, actually. Yeah, is that so is like, that transferable through surface contact? Like, even if, let's say you were yeah. to you know, like just touch someone's skin and they. they or does it have to get into your system, into a wound? No, if you come into contact with one of the sores, you can mm-hmm. you can get it with syphilis anyway. And I mean, oh. HPV oh, actually, um, throat, throat. Uh, mm. if, if somebody has a, a, a like a, a throat infected with HPV, you can get it from kissing. Mm-hmm. Huh. So, yeah, the, the protection works to a certain extent for sure, but mm. um, it's, it's, it's also not foolproof. So I think yeah, yeah it, it kind of come does come back to the promiscuity. Um, yeah. And sure. I don't know. Getting back to Tiff's question, I'm going to go and just say four. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently there was a survey, you know, and people mm. were saying that um, you know 14 is the limit of best sexual partners for women and 15 for men, and any more than yeah. that, and people might think you are too promiscuous. <laughs> but they also said that two or three was too few. Yeah. <laughs> I can't really trust what these people say. Yeah. But wow, I mean, it's a good indication of the way the yeah. population's thinking, right? Like, huh. that's yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. My cutoff. I remember. It's like whoa. Whoa, yeah, that's too much. Actually, when I was in med school in Costa Rica, in Costa Rica, there was a huge problem with um, papilloma virus, cancer, you know, cervix cancer, woman, woman's cancer, basically. So in our medical history, we were forced to take the number of sexual partners in a lifetime, you know, for each patient. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 15 was red alert, red alert, red alert, <laughs> basically. So, and... Uh, <laughs> But what shocked me uh, in preparation for this show was to read that women don't get papillomavirus cancer anymore, not nearly as much as men do right now. Mm-hmm. That are me- yeah. Basically, it's the men that you've got to think about, you know, when, for a risk of this type of cancer, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cervical cancer usually, if it does strike in the cases that don't clear up on their own, Usually strikes women between ages of fifty and fifty-five. So not and yet they're really... giving vaccines to what infants? Yeah, or basically at least like preschoolers or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's handy. Mm. But there's also the question of maybe somebody had a time in their life when they were more promiscuous than they would have liked mm. to have been, and then they settled down. A uh, problem with a lot of these sexual transmitted diseases is that people don't always get symptoms 
So they could be mm-hmm. spreading stuff and think that they're okay and yeah. they're giving it to their partners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the story of a man, oh, well, he was a father now, three kids. Um, he was faithful to his wife and he was basically living a good life from all point of view. Mm-hmm. But he has this type of cancer and he got it probably from college. He was, he didn't have, he didn't necessarily had high risk relationships. And, uh, there's a speculation that men get it, for example, in their throat because they do oral sex, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's the kind of thing that just shows off like 20, 30 years down the road and manifests as cancer. But uh, he allegedly, he says that he didn't even practice that, and, but he had the cancer anyway. So, yeah, who knows? Hmm. One of the chatters in our chat room says, uh, compared to some people I know, 14 or 15 actually seems low. Hmm. And Whoa. You know, in, in this day and age, though, I, that, that doesn't really surprise me. Like, you figure, you figure if somebody's using one of those apps like Tinder or Grindr or whatever, and they're doing it even, like, say, like once a week. Well, I mean, mm. that's 52 partners in one year. Mm. Like, that's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, Ooh. so 14 or 15, they're going to be like, whatever. I'm way past that. Yeah. I think there is an attitude right now that, that's, that sex is like lower on the totem pole than dating. Mm-hmm. You know, if, mm. you're, if you're dating someone, then you're into them and you're looking maybe for a relationship or you're kind of testing the waters. But sex is like lower than that. Like, if you have sex with it, you just always oh, just hooked up. That's all. Yeah, that's all it is, you know. And yeah, that that then opens up the door for that to become much more common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, about these HPV throat cancers <clears throat> in men, they say that it's gonna surpass, or it already has surpassed, the number of HPV caused cervical cancers in women. So I guess there's loads of men walking around with these oral throat cancers maybe some of them know about it and some of them don't um but they mm-hmm. say that if you have 16 or more partners in your lifetime you're at greater risk for getting one of these oral cancers and then surprisingly they said that if you smoke more than 20 cigarettes a day or if you use marijuana that increases the risk but they didn't say how they exactly came up with that i have no idea Maybe well, with marijuana, your your inhibitions <clears throat> might get lowered and you might have more sexual encounters than you would if you were sober. But I don't know about cigarettes. <laughs> well, it's <clears throat> I think it's like it, it's and one of those things membranes. that doesn't equal causation. Like yeah. it's not like, you know, if you smoke 19 a day, you're cool. But if you have 20 a day, well, <laughs> suddenly you're risking throat cancer because of HPV. Like, I think it's, it's more likely that they've just looked at the statistics and found that for whatever reason, the group mm-hmm. that is more likely to contract HPV, um, throat cancer also happens to smoke more than 20 cigarettes a day. It might just be that they're, they tend to be more careless about their health. They don't, mm-hmm. uh, they don't, they, they, you know, they're kind of like, you know, cause in this day and age, like anybody who smokes is basically deliberately flaunting, um, you know, deliberately going against what they could do to be healthy. So that's the the common perception anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like I wouldn't be surprised if the group that kind of has a bunch of kind of bad health habits would also be the smokers. 
and would also maybe smoke marijuana as well. It's like it, it, it kind of, kind of makes sense, I think, if you look at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. Still, that's shocking statistic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So I wonder about the. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Tiff. Uh, 131 million people all over the world get chlamydia, chlamydia every year. Hmm. That's, that's a lot. And that's the one that can stay hidden, right? Yeah. Like it can stay hidden for like years. Like you have, I, didn't Al Capone die of it, even though he hadn't had an outbreak in like 30 years or something like that? And then all of a sudden they came mm. back. Yeah, there's all these theories about well-known people who allegedly had this or that STD. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how true all those stories are, but yeah. Yeah. But uh, 131 million worldwide, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you would think lot. that a lot of these diseases would just be common in, like, sex workers. Like... uh STDs are rampant in the porn industry, even though they could use condoms and just edit it out. But apparently people don't like seeing condoms in porn. And so all these sex workers are testing positive for all kinds of STDs. And it's just a big old Petri dish, like you said, John. Oh, my God. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. The porn, the porn industry, it's just... Ugh. Kind of turns my stomach a little bit. <laughs> it's just like a disease factory. Yeah, well, they have that that law now. I think it passed where the uh, porn shoots they have to use condoms for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's state by state or what, but I just heard something about that. Hmm. Well, they just go to a state but, where it's not necessary, probably. Right. Yeah. Got to keep with consumer demand, after all. Yeah. Well, it's not like a state inspector is going to be on the set of every time shoot, <laughs> making no. sure that people comply with the law. Right. <laughs> yeah. But to that uh, chlamydia thing, it, that's an interesting one because uh, I had never ne- in the past heard of chlamydia necessarily being dangerous. That was always, you know, it's the, that's what the one they call the clap, right? And, and yeah. it's... Uh, it's uh, curable with uh, certain antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's why people take it less seriously. Like, oh, if I get it, I can just get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. But yeah. the idea that it could stay dormant and then affect you more later, that's a that's an interesting prospect. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, comedia is very tricky. You can develop new strains very easily. Mm-hmm. And then you have to pick up like a another type of antibiotic because he's already resistant with the first one used as a treatment. And, uh, you know, it is very tricky because it cannot give, uh, like, very um, typical symptoms. Like, a lot of people would think uh, that it's, uh, well, a mild urinary infection maybe. And mm-hmm. anyway, so a lot of people don't get treated and they keep transmitting this stuff. It's a big one. So what do you think the end game of all this is? It's like we got these super STDs rising, running rampantly through the through the world. It's like is that are we looking at the plague that's going to knock out the human race here? Apparently 
I don't know if there's a relation with I, the other day I saw an article saying that Western men had more infertility than other ethnicities, you know, and yes, they were speculating about EMF or cell phones, but what if, <laughs> if it's the chlamydia, it's chlamydia? It gave infertility. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, a lot I mean, there of was these one... STDs, if they're untreated, they can lead to infertility. Mm-hmm. So... There was one study where they were treating infertile men with antibiotics, and like so many of them were able to um, conceive after the antibiotic oh my run. God. So <laughs> it's so like, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what's that? <clears throat> or they just load it up with bacteria, is that the thing? So then if you take an antibiotic, then it, then it works. Yeah, apparently, like because <laughs> chlamydia can actually deform the sperm at like the DNA huh. level, um, huh. and it it will, yeah, like cause infertility in many cases. So yeah, by just kind of, and the thing is, the difference between um, men and women is that it can cause infertility in both men and women, but apparently mm-hmm. in women it'll do more permanent damage, whereas in men, um, I think if you catch it before it's a certain stage, it's like it's it's reversible essentially. So, right. yeah, it was basically they, they did this study and gave them a bunch of antibiotics and suddenly they were able to conceive. So that says something right there. Yeah. Wow. And actually there was another study that said that women are more susceptible to STDs when they're ovulating. I guess because mm. oh. during the ovulation time, their immunity dips to allow the sperm to survive. Mm. So you wow. can have a viable fetus. So. Mm. Wow. Wow. I wonder so, if uh, Doug, to your... Yeah, oh, I was just going to say to your about question. Your about your plague the... question. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it will be just one plague, because that's what people think about when they think of uh, apocalyptic plague, like it's just one thing. What if it's a combination mm. of a bunch of different diseases that just go berserk all around the mm. same time? Yeah, right. Another sign of the time. Yeah, but I would tend to think that too. It would be cumulative, you know, above a uh, 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 combination of all of these things uh, mm. combined. You know, weakened immune yeah. systems, bad food, bad environment. Yeah, promiscuous sex, all over the place. I think I find it interesting actually that that is kind of <clears throat> where things you know, seem to be getting out of control here. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, I mean, there is all the kind of social stigma against it and the, the history of, like, you know, Christianity has kind of had this dark view of sex for the longest time, and it's kind of, like, coming true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, if you look at know, the collapse of ancient Rome, their society was pretty sexually promiscuous before it fell Mm. and if the u.s is just a reincarnation of that i mean i wouldn't be surprised if this is just uh not it's just like a beacon of the coming collapse maybe yeah well i think uh camille paglia talked about that i think she talked Mm -hmm. about basically we're living in rome right now it's kind of like this is the end and all these different markers were that were there at the fall of that civilization our current we're currently living with right now mm-hmm. like the rise of transgenderism uh rampant promiscuity all these kinds of things so 
maybe maybe we're living in the end times. Yeah, it, ma- it makes you wonder whether, um, like, she made the correlation in one of her interviews, um, as you just said, Doug, with the rise of promiscuity and then and then the decline of civilization. It kind of makes you wonder, is the rise in promiscuity, is it a symptom um, of, like, an underlying sort of um, dynamic that, that occurs that kind of, that, that precedes this, uh, destruction of whatever civilization, or is it the cause? Is it is it that this this promise, promiscuous sexual behavior essentially, uh, you know, passes around these superbugs, and then that kills everyone off? You know, like w- w- what? Which way does it? I mean, or is it both? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> well, maybe um, people kind of subconsciously recognize that things are falling apart. And their bodies just kind of signal to have more sex to possibly, you know, as kind of a, uh, a stopgap measure to try and like raise the population. Survive. So that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Survive. Yeah, maybe it's our kind of uh, overarching kind of species intelligence that's telling us you got to reproduce because uh, things are about to go south really bad. But people are more infertile though. Maybe it's yeah. just people's way of not dealing with everything that is crashing down around their ears, and they're just seeking out mm. some kind of comfort or some connection with somebody, no matter how short-lived it may be. They just want mm. a way to escape, and promiscuous sex is one of those ways. Hmm. Well, there was one article we read that was talking about how uh, there was a study on college students, and they found that the more promiscuous they were, the more likely they were to be depressed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think they were reading it that, like, oh, yeah, well, so promiscuity leads to more depression. But, it, you know, again, correlation doesn't equal causation. So maybe it is just that people who are more kind of anxious or stressed out or kind of have a sense of this kind of impending, I don't know, whatever, they mm. are led to kind of, yeah, distract themselves from it like you were saying to mm. yeah like distract themselves like with an addi- um, addiction you know that doesn't necessarily satisfy an intimate relationship you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they are more ac- anxious and depressed other- afterwards mm-hmm. this makes me wonder though like are we preaching to the choir because I noticed that no one has called in to share their STD experiences <laughs> <laughs> and no one has written about it in you the chat. You were expecting that one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. Tell us your STD experiences, guys. We want to hear. No, I'm just... I mean, I don't know anyone personally who engages in these wild behaviors. Not necessarily that everyone who catches an STD is promiscuous person. Mm. Um, Maybe they have a partner who might be promiscuous or whatever reason. Maybe they just didn't know that they had it and they made a mistake one time or whatever. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even know where I was going with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm the same. Like, I don't, I don't really know, at least nobody who's up front about it that is engaging this kind of thing. Like, I don't know somebody out there who's like, going on Tinder or Grinder regularly or something, or, or is, you know, a member of that, like mm-hmm. Ashley Madison site or something like that, like people who are basically just 
using the technology that exists out there to be promiscuous. Um, and yeah, I mean, that might be the kind of thing that somebody wouldn't really publicize um, because mm -hmm. I think there is still somewhat of a stigma against that. But um, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, obviously the people must be out there because these things are, are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it too is that, um, you know, we, at least I don't, I don't think any of us live near a uh, really uh, concentrated metro area, right? And I think that that would be mm. a higher likelihood just statistically of that, that culture being present and uh, the problems that arise from it. Mm. Yeah. Well, even when I was in so Toronto, just, I wasn't, wasn't yeah. really, you know, the, the circles I ran in, at least, it wasn't it wasn't something that was accepted and talked about. But I mean, right. who knows? Maybe, maybe I wasn't <laughs> following people like twenty four seven. So who knows what was going on? Yeah, I think that might be one of those things that that people don't talk about very much. Just like you were saying, I mean, you know, uh, granted, obviously, it's an it's an issue of like personal privacy to talk about your medical history. But it's not surprising that people wouldn't want to share stories about that. Um, mm. You know, because it's. Uh, it's also got a moral stigma around it mm -hmm. too. And so mm -hmm. I wonder even if people in these scenes, like there's some base kind of thing that keeps you from being really open about it. Even if you're, even if you're in that scene, now granted there are people who, who are, uh, but yeah, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's kind of like, it's, it's a sneaky, uh, avenue for the viruses to sneak into the population. Um, because mm -hmm. you know, I don't mean to anthropomorphize the virus, but it, it found, you know, a, a way in that not many people talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like an intelligent superorganism. Mm -hmm. We may not be in the top of the food chain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. do we think that this could ever die down? Like what if something happened and the internet went down and no one could ever access Tinder or Grindr or online porn anymore. Would that be what it would take? Mass suicide. Mm. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe. Well, considering how addictive porn is, like, I think you would have people kind of freaking out about it, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like to answer your question, is that what's going to, is that what it takes for this kind of thing to stop? I don't know. I mean, I guess you could always compare the numbers and see when there was a lot of campaigning out there for safe sex and stuff when the AIDS thing was really big. Mm -hmm. um, was that actually leading to people being more conservative? I don't know. Um, I mean, certainly in some circles, I think it didn't have an effect at all. But um, no. maybe in the general population, it, it kind of did. So is is education kind of the answer to it? I don't know. Yeah, well, I think it's always a, it's a fear-based you know, uh, impulse, uh, to, uh, in general. So I think when they come at it in, uh, no, I don't agree with fear mongering, but it is more effective than trying to get people to be reasonable. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, it, <clears throat> I, I think kind of like what you said, that, that it probably didn't have that much of an effect. I think of it as like, you know, the just say no campaign, uh, regarding drugs. Yeah. I mean, that, that turned into a joke. Uh, yeah. and it still is kind of a joke, like an actual joke that people tell. <laughs> Just say no. Yeah. You know. So I think the abstinence well, thing might have been similar. I mean, I I grew up in a Christian community, so it was it that was the the mo anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't really have an experience of what it was like coming out from like a public school, you know, or anything like that. Mm. Apparently, there are all types of psychological studies showing that teenagers were are were at high risk of early pregnancy. Um, all the campaigns they didn't work, or maybe they just made things worse actually. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the one thing that helped was to put teenagers to volunteer in an organization to do something good, you know, in their life, you know, for other people. That did work. Mm-hmm. They became more responsible, have less casual sex, and, you know, they just behave more responsibly by seeing themselves behaving more responsibly, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, personally, I, I th- even though, you know, I may have certain thoughts about it, I think the way to approach this is not morally. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's more about health, you know, it's more about personal health, like you're going to take care of your body or not, and that should be the approach. Yeah, I think that's a so good point. my opinion. Um, I don't know because... if you can take morals out of it completely, though. Cause, right. Uh, back in olden days, not that old, maybe <laughs> our parents and grandparents, people seemed like they just had fewer partners and f- fewer opportunities to hook up with people casually. Like, yeah. A lot of people saw sex before marriage as something that was kind of shameful and now it's just like Mm -hmm. pretty much expected not that that is the right way to go but people are a lot more conservative Mm -hmm. and maybe that's not such a bad thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's that's a good point postmodern postmodern times now and Mm -hmm. i think trying to trying to go against that and impose some sort of morality onto people who basically think morality is completely subjective and not uh there's there's no basis to it at all would be yeah you'd be slut shaming them otherwise yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah it's gonna get uglier before it gets better yeah yeah i mean maybe this is nature's way of getting rid of all the postmodernists (laughs) but if you if you want to take like the the sodom and gomorrah kind of approach uh to this i think that uh i think that is part of the case Mm. you know we're seeing ramifications for an irresponsible culture but we're seeing that in all the other areas too you know we've been irresponsible about the environment irresponsible about our food uh, Mm uh you know about our drugs about all these things um, that, yeah, I mean, all of that cumulatively, like, uh, you know, I'm not standing on the street corner with a, with a board, with a signboard on, but it really is like we're very Sodom and Gomorrah right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe just like with everything else, things have to implode and we have to start all over from scratch and then it yeah. starts again. A 200,000 year cycle. (laughs) (laughs) We live in interesting times, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that a Chinese curse? May you live in interesting times. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Thank you, Chinese wisdom. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so uh, do we have any uh, 
words of advice for our listeners? <laughs> or the people who uh, might listen yeah. later? Uh, th- think twice and then and, and wear condoms if you decide to go ahead with it, you know, or yeah. make your partner wear a condom. Yeah, that's pretty much what I got, you know, and then just be careful. Mm-hmm. To, don't, you know, don't go out, you know, doing it randomly. Try to get to know a person a little bit and make it more meaningful. That would, that would mm-hmm. be my advice, you know. Just try not to take no, it so flippantly. My advice would be uh, that knowledge protects. You can study each sexually transmitted disease and see the horrifying effects it has that will immune you <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. horrifying you know it makes my skin jump you know every time i see the slides the pictures of um, secretions skin lesions mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> yeah and you know uh, get uh, i would say to get tested um mm-hmm. you know it can be uh if you don't know then there's a way to know. Um, it can be mm-hmm. terrifying. I did it, you know, when I was I was getting older a little bit. I was like, oh, it's time. I never had one before. Uh, you know, I had had a few partners in my 20s. It's like, it's just time to get tested. That was the most terrifying two weeks of my life, mm-hmm. waiting for mm-hmm. that result because it was full spectrum. And it was like, what am I going to have, you know? Um, it turned out fine, but that was a huge step because, you know, had I not done that, uh, what was that, like 15 years ago almost now, that, uh, you know, that whole time I would have been wondering and maybe suffering the deleterious effects of something that I had that I didn't know. I mean, it really is worth it. And if you go to your, at least I know if you're in the United States and you go to your local health department, it's like 50 bucks. So Mm -hmm. it's really worth doing. Well, speaking of testing, they apparently are developing phone apps (laughs) that have a little plug-in thing and you put, I don't know, saliva some other sort of excretion into this attachment that comes with it and your phone will be able to tell you whether or not you are positive for a disease a sexually transmitted disease i looked into it a little more because i just read about it and i was kind of like well that's kind of interesting let's see what this is all about and it looks like um it's freaking expensive so i I can't you know i can see that maybe some people would value discretion and don't want to go into a clinic or whatever and the fact of the matter is, yeah. like, clinics are closing all over the U.S. right now, um, right. which might also be part of the problem. But um, I, it was like something like like two hundred bucks or something like that for, and it only tests for one. Oh, actually, I might be wrong about that. Maybe it did test for more than one. But nonetheless, it seemed like a very expensive way to go about it. Um, mm. And so I don't know. It didn't. It didn't seem very practical to me. But um, it's kind of funny that, you know, if you're going to go with your, your Tinder or your grinder, then maybe you ought to pick up this app as well with the attachment and uh, then you got the whole kit. <laughs> yeah. While you're at it, get one of the uh, portable sobriety kits. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. But that I could see it. It's almost kind of a weird idiocracy kind of picture in people – hooking up with other people on their phone. And then when they meet like here, Oh, let me test you. Okay. Let me test you. We're good. All right. Mm, Yeah. I didn't think about using it that way, actually. (laughs) So you go. There's the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's all, it's all coming down to the phone. And then the information goes to the CIA. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, that's a good question about who's getting that information. You have more discretion at a clinic. I, and I even if you do test positive, you you're still going to have to go to a clinic to get treated. <laughs> yeah. 
That's true. <laughs> I was just going to say, I guarantee that you're, uh, well, maybe not, you know, yours, but in general, people's uh, sexual demographic, number of partners, locations where it happened is all, those are all data points uh, in hmm. either uh, commercial or government databases. I promise. Everything that can <laughs> really? be called is called. Yeah. I mean, it may not be stored for years and years. That I'm still, you know, I don't know. People say different things. Are there really server farms that could hold this much information? We don't need to get into that whole thing. But I guarantee that it's being captured. Uh, and even mm. in just the commercial sector, it's able to be analyzed. Because it's just wow. data. And you can, you can buy data, you know. So that's like probably blackmail material for future politicians. Sure, oh. sure. Well, I mean, if somebody, apparently were if somebody using uses Tinder, uh, three times a week. Yeah. If you if you had the ability, you could quite easily say that somebody used Tinder at this location on this date on the way from point A to point B. They stopped at this gas station and got this brand of condoms or they got two boxes, you know, and then at that point they went to this person's house. Like you can map that all together just from data that's publicly available or or. or wow. So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what needs to be publicized. Like forget the moral part of it. Just get people right. really paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a chatter that has a good point. Data input to AIs. Maybe the AIs, yeah. artificial intelligence, will get rid of us because <laughs> we're like yeah. totally responsible and worthless. Yeah. Like these humans are not logical. Yeah. <laughs> They'll maximize the disease spreading. Yeah. Like we know this person's infected, so let's send them to this person and then to that person. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, it, this is a little funny, but I could also see it even coming down to because it's already. So if you get a DUI, uh, when then uh, in in a lot of states, when you go to make an attempt to drive again, you have to have a meter in your car that will prevent the car from being shut or turned on if you register a certain alcohol level in your breath. So you have to blow into this thing mm. to turn the car on. Well, the insurance companies already use that information to say whether they're going to raise or lower your policies based on how risky your behavior is. I could totally see this coming into play with that too. If there's like some sort of STD yeah. testing app that that would tie into your insurance records, you know, and so yeah. um, that would affect it that way too. And then it would affect you even being able to be treated. If you go to the doctor and they say, well, sorry, your policy doesn't cover this. Yeah. No, I mean, even have people using those apps for hooking up too. I mean, that could be yeah. sent to your health insurance company and then sure. yeah, it's like, no, you're, you're uh, participating in high risk behavior. So. Yeah. yeah, what a crazy world. Well, uh, we are coming up on our time. Uh, let's let's go to uh, Zoya's pet health segment for today. Maybe we can uh, brighten things up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, we'll come back and wrap up after this. I don't picture octopuses as bright, but apparently it's funny <sighs> and interesting facts about octopi. Very cool. Oh, I love them. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I'm going to share with you interesting facts about octopuses. They are intelligent, creative, and versatile. I'm sure that you heard things about octopuses before, but I'm willing to bet that the following recording is going to amaze you, and also probably cause a couple of good belly laughs. Well, enjoy! Here we will explore true facts about the octopus. 
Deep in the depths of the ocean lives a marvelous creature sometimes referred to as the floppy floppy spider of the sea. But its true name comes from a Greek word meaning eight-footed because it has eight arms. There are two major suborders of octopuses, the Serena and Inserina. The serrate octopuses look a bit like an alien got freaky with a weather balloon. They have two little fins, a small internal shell, and lots of little cilia next to their suckers. The other suborder, which we will be looking at today, are the inserina. No internal shell, although some do try to fake it. No fins, but 100% amazing. Many of you will know the amazing color and texture changing capabilities of the octopus as well as its ability to fart ink at a moment's notice, evolution at its finest. However, perhaps the most remarkable feature of the octopus is its intelligence. They are the most intelligent of all of the invertebrates. Technically not tons of competition there. I mean, clams are stupid. I'm sorry I said it, but they are dumb as hell. What is amazing is that while octopuses can learn and remember complex tasks like opening childproof jars and moving through mazes, they are using an intelligence that has evolved very differently than our own. Unlike our intelligence, which is mainly centralized in our head hole, the octopus has distributed intelligence. Three-fifths of all of its neurons are located in its arms. In a way, each of its arms actually has a mind of its own which is amazing. Unless, after a while, you found out that one of your arms was an apple. That would suck. These arms are so capable that even when they are severed, they will continue to search for and capture food and then try to bring that food back to a non-existent mouth hole. Some octopuses will actually remove one of their own arms when threatened and let it wriggle away to confuse the hell out of predators. Data point of one, but it would confuse the hell out of me. Each arm of the octopus is equipped with over 250 suction cups, each one with the ability to rotate and grasp independently. Not only are they grabby-grabby, but the suction cups contain sensory receptors, which allow it to taste and smell what it touches. This is an ability I'm glad I don't have. It is widely known that the interestingness of an animal is proportional to how difficult it is to figure out where its butthole is. The octopus is therefore very interesting because its mouth is exactly where I thought its butt should be. I'll be honest with you, I still don't really know where it is. But my search history does contain the phrase, pictures of an octopus's butt. <laughs> Inside the octopus's mouth is a beak, the only hard part of the inserina body, meaning that the octopus can squeeze through any hole larger than its beak. The tentacles guide food towards the beak, where venomous saliva incapacitates prey before the horror begins. I told you, clams are stupid. When it comes to moving, the octopus has a variety of options. It can crawl, or use a water jet called a siphon, or it can do this, which is my favorite. Some scientists have argued that two of its arms should be characterized as legs. I wonder why. <laughs> they can walk. <laughs> Octopuses can even move on land quite effectively. Yes, they get a little mushy on land, but don't judge. It's like reverse shrinkage. Imagine what they think when we skinny dip. What happened to your little arm? That's what they say. 
Although the octopus's eight arms may seem identical, one of the male's arms is actually a hectocotylus, which functions like a penis. Therefore, shaking hands with a male octopus is sort of like playing Russian roulette. But instead of dying, you risk your hand getting pregnant. The hectocotylus is used to transfer spermatophores to the female, either by inserting it into a hole in her mantle or by tearing it off and presenting it to the female for later use. To understand this, imagine if you were on a date and your date reached down and... Well, that is how an octopus do. To the octopus, human sex looks really, really boring. Like we're just saying hello to each other. Because when they get it on, it can get crazy. When the female has fertilized her eggs, she retreats to an underwater crevice and attaches her eggs to the roof. She will stay with them, gently blowing fresh water over them, protecting them as she slowly starves to death. Basically, everything they do is hardcore. When her job is done, she is gone. But thousands of little babies emerge, floating. Just beautiful. Sort of like the ending of Charlotte's Web, except underwater. And without the farm animals, too, they would they would all drown. They would die. The dancing pig wouldn't last a second, really. It'd be sort of uh, babies interspersed with these dead and rotting animals being eaten by fish. It's, it's a different story, really. Less appropriate for children. And I, the duck would do okay, but one floating duck does not a children's book make, you know. Just remember, if you're writing a children's book, one animal can die, not all of them. Only a clam would write that sort of crap, and they're dumb as hell. <laughs> that was great. It was fun. <laughs> that was awesome! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you can't get pregnant through your hand, dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was so were funny, those though. some like uh, chlamydia free goats? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. <laughs> That's good. They sounded pure well, and was... innocent. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can get uh, a little more of that. Uh, our chatters are requesting more of those. <laughs> <laughs> more of that guy's videos. He's like, he was funny. You guys suck. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, that is the uh, that is our show for today. Thank you very much for listening uh, to our chat participants. Um, and uh, like we said, you know, just keep an eye on this and uh, be careful out there. It's a rough world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be, ba- we'll be back next week. Uh, make sure to tune into the SOT Radio Show on Sunday at noon Eastern time. Radio.SOT.net. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, Bye. 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 Bye.